Oh yeah. Uh, uh, feels good. Greetings and hi there. This is the Head Speaks Podcast, a proud member of the Headcast family. I am your host, Aaron Moss, also known as Brother Head. Welcome to Head Speaks, where I'll be talking about comics, movies, and recent news items that interest me. Basically anything that strikes my fancy. Warning! Warning! This podcast may not be family friendly. Head Speaks may contain adult language, adult content, fantasy violence, and nudity. You have been warned. The young, stupid, and easily offended may not want to listen to this headcast. In other words, parental guidance is more than suggested. Now, before we get started today, let's hear a word from a friend of the show. secret governmental organization operating behind the scenes. Task Force X. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Any other stupid questions? The Suicide Squad, ran by Amanda Waller. I'm Amanda Waller. I'm here to indoctrinate you convicts into our special forces. And there's Checkmate, ran by Harry Stein. This is the tales of DC Comics, Suicide Squad, and Checkmate. Mostly monthly from Headspeaks. Available on iTunes under Task Force X and under Headcasts over at headspeaks.com. We can also be found on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Task Force X. Check it out. Or you'll answer to the wall. Nobody screws the wall! The Ultraverse Network begins now. Over 20 years ago, Malibu Comics debuted The Ultraverse. It may not have lasted long, but the creativity and quality of its titles and creators caught many readers' imaginations when it first appeared and in the years since. This network of fans celebrates the fun and excitement of The Ultraverse and its awesome writers, artists, and characters. Featuring three ongoing podcasts covering a variety of topics, including Nightman and Solitaire, our blog will feature regular coverage of The Strangers, Sludge, Firearm, Ultraforce, and all your other favorites. Look for Ultraverse Network on iTunes and visit our website at ultraversepodcast.com. We are giving Ultraverse fandom a jumpstart. Oh, yeah. A little head. On this episode of A Little Head, I'm going to speak about something a little more <clears throat> personal. This happened to me recently. As those that may know me know, I'm 45 years old, and I've got four kids, 
two boys from a previous marriage and two kids from my current marriage. As I keep telling my wife, I'm getting too old for this shit. Way too old. Um, so I've decided to go in and get a vasectomy, which I did this past Friday in real time. If you're the squeamish and you don't want to hear about this, you may want to fast forward a little bit. Shouldn't be too long. It's just going to be a brief little uh, summary of my experience at the doctor's office. Uh, so I went in at 9 o'clock in the morning to get the procedure done. Uh, what happens is they uh, make a small incision in your testicles. Uh, they go in and they find the vas deferens tube, I believe it's called. And they snip off a small, maybe a eighth of an inch, quarter of an inch of it, off both tubes, off both side, you know, off each side. To, and they uh, cauterize it and sew it up so the tubes hopefully don't go back together and no more babies. Um, I see. No one told me though when they do that. To do that, they have to squeeze the living shit out of your balls. Uh, like I say, when he was doing it, it felt like I either owed the doctor money or he found out that maybe I was sleeping with his wife or something. Because, my God, the, it wasn't just the pain in my testicles. It went down to my knee, up to my belly. Um, yeah, I mean, if you don't want to have kids, that's the way to go. But just be forewarned that it is quite painful. Uh, here it is. It's been five days ago or so, real time, and I've still got some pain. It's still sore down there. Uh, but as I was in the, uh, like I said, they just do it in like the uh, doctor's office. Uh, they give you a local anesthetic or whatever, you know, a shot down below to help numb the pain. Uh, that didn't hurt too bad. It was like a mosquito bite, he said, with a giant fucking stinger. Uh, and I hate to feel the kind of pain if he didn't give me that. But I say the incision itself wasn't too bad. It was just him groping around trying to grab the tubes and make the cut where they need to. But as he was doing, he did the first one fine, made the second cut, was cleaning things up and trying to sew things up. And all of a sudden, the light in the office went out. Luckily, he still had his, his little spotlight they use, but the office lights went out. Apparently, the nurse had set it to, instead of just turning it on, it was set to a motion sensor. And he wasn't moving too much down there in my nut area, so the lights went off. So it was off for a few minutes until the nurse comes in and flicks lights on. I thought that was kind of funny. Not in a ha-ha funny way, but in a what-the-hell kind of way. And, uh... I don't know how I feel I had a man down there holding my testicles, the lights off. Uh, he didn't even buy me dinner. I, I don't. I gotta tell you, I don't know. But the procedure's done. Uh, no more little heads gonna be running around here after this. Uh, just gotta wait a couple weeks, and then I gotta start jerking off like a mofo to, because they can take up to 15, 20 ejaculations before you're actually clean. So, anyways, like I say. I made it through fine, sore, but, you know, the lights went off. It was kind of funny. Other than that, it went off without a hitch. Uh, like I say, it was, at times it was a bit painful. Again, here it is. Five days later, I'm still really sore. Uh, 
I wouldn't want to do it again. I mean, I would, if, but I, I wouldn't want to. And he said, you know, he tied it off, he sewed it up, and hopefully sometimes I guess they do have a habit sometimes of growing back. Not a habit, they do once in a while they'll grow back. I'm hoping that wouldn't hasn't happened because I really don't want to do that again because, oh, God, that was very, very painful. But anywho, uh, again, I told you it would be a quick one. That was just my brief little rundown of my vasectomy. Uh, stay tuned. I know, again, it was a short session, but I'm going to go ahead and play another uh, ad for another friend of the show. And then we'll be back with our next segment. Hold tight, kids. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Man, it sure is great to be back to from crisis to crisis after all this time. It's been a busy year for both of us. For very different reasons. But now we're ready to cover the post-death and return Superman stories. Yeah, and we're about to start the books that came out in 1994, which means that we have so much to look forward to, like Bizarro's World. The Battle for and Fall of Metropolis. Superman Doomsday, Hunter, Prey. Worlds Collide. Well, you're looking forward to that one. Oh, bite me. Zero hour. Zero month. And right there at the end, we have Dead Again. And don't forget, the Elseworlds annuals as well. Well, most of them anyway. Yeah, yeah, some of those really did suck, don't they? But From Crisis to Crisis is back. New episodes will drop on Thursday, just like before. You can find the show at the Superman homepage, www.supermanhomepage.com, as well as at the Superman Podcast Network, which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we also have a Facebook page that you can like by going to www.facebook.com slash from crisis to crisis a superman podcast.com. Is it dot com on there? No. No, no, it's not. No, no dot com. Forget that. <laughs> so from crisis to crisis is back, folks, and better than ever. Well, I'm better than ever. You need some work. No, shut up. No, you 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 shut up. From crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast covering the post-crisis adventures of Superman, one half month at a time, every Thursday at www supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailitude.com And now let's move on to movies with head this week i'm going to talk a little more about some tv news uh, not necessarily tv news but some tv stuff um i've talked about it a little before i'm talking about it again we're going to talk about uh, cw's the flash and arrow and not about the shows themselves but one aspect per show uh, the first aspect i'm going to talk about as i've mentioned numerous times one of my favorite heroes uh, he's currently showing up, I say showing up in quotes, on Arrow, is Ray Palmer, the Atom. Uh, for those that don't know, Ray Palmer is a scientist, he's a professor, 
He teaches at Pace University in Ivytown, uh, somewhere in New England. He's a physicist, and he specializes in matter compression as a means to fight overpopulation, fam famine, and other world problems. Uh, as I've talked about before, I've done a character profile on him, I believe. Uh, he found a white dwarf, dwarf star fragment that he used to make himself shrink down to uh, microscopic size. Became the crime fighter known as the Atom. <sighs> now we move on to CW's Arrow. They've introduced a Ray Palmer character here. Uh, he is a scientist. And honestly, that's where the similarities end. I mean, in recent episodes, he has been dealing with miniaturization, so he does have that going for him. But in the movie, he's a billion, or I'm sorry, the TV show, he's a billionaire, a very rich industrialist type of guy whose wife died at some point due to crime, and he's created a suit called the ATOM suit, exoskeleton that can allow him to fight crime. Uh, the suit allows him to fly, shoot beams, or it's electrical bursts it looks like, but you could say uh, omni-beams. Uh, sounds very much like Iron Man. In fact, over on the Unite DC Comics project that I've mentioned previously, uh, we are calling him Iron Atom. And his costume looks very similar to Exo Man of War. Uh, so that's, Mags refers to him as Exo Iron Man Adam or something like that. I, I just refer to him as Iron Adam. As you can tell, I, I'm not very happy with his portrayal so far. In fact, when he first donned the suit and started flying around, my wife and the 21-year-old son both looked over at me to see my expression. And usually on these scenes, I'm giddy, I'm giggling, I'm bouncing my seat like, ooh. This, I was like, eh, and they could, they could see that my face wasn't happy with what I was watching. Like, okay, what's wrong? So I explained to them, yeah, I understand. So, so far, I'm not happy with the way they're taking Ray Palmer. Uh, I'm hoping they bring in the ministerization soon. But so far, he's uh, very much of an Iron Man knockoff. I know, as I've said previously, uh, Originally, they wanted Blue Beetle for this role, but the higher-ups said they couldn't have him, so they picked the Atom. <sighs> if this is the way they're going with him, CW can just go fuck themselves. I'm sorry to say it, but this is not Ray Palmer. This is not the Atom. I'm hoping before too long, I'm hoping before he gets his new show that they're supposed to be doing, he starts miniaturizing and, and shrinks down. Otherwise, I am going to be sorely disappointed. And again, I understand I understand there may be some changes here and there for the TV show, but this character bears almost no resemblance to the Adam that I know and love. And again, if they wanted to go a different route with a character called the Adam, if they would have called him another name like, you know, Fred Lovejoy or something, I wouldn't have minded. But when they pick Ray Palmer, who is one of my, as I've said, two favorite heroes... And they said he's the Atom. And then they bring on Iron Man Jr. It just... It, oh, fuck me in the ass. It just... I don't know. I'm not happy with it. Again, as I said, I'm hoping that... Soon they make him miniaturize and shrink down and... 
become the Adam we all know and love. But until then, uh, I could go on complaining about this, but again, I, I've summed up what I feel. Let's go ahead and move on from what I'm disliking to the other end of the spectrum. Over on the same channel, CW, there's The Flash. And as I've said on the Unite DC Comics project, it seems like for everything that The Flash is doing right, Arrow's doing wrong. The Flash has introduced my other favorite hero, Firestorm. And I expect some changes because, again, if you've seen the Firestorm costume, it's not very live-action oriented. It's got the big puffy sleeves. It looks kind of comical, I guess. Firestorm on the Flash, like I say, while not a direct representation, it's as damn close as you're going to get to live action. I mean, it's not the red and yellow that you would expect, or that the costume actually looks like, but as Shag Matthews over on the Firestorm uh, fan and Firewater podcast has said, with the fiery hair and the, the fire, a red and orange... Uh, costume may not look as good. It may not stand out as much. Whereas in the TV show, he's like he's been using like a brown coat. Doesn't have a costume so much per se, but wearing dark clothes, which stands out because they do... And you, I wouldn't think they were going to do this. Oh, but my God, they give Firestorm his flaming hair. He's got flaming hands. He looks fantastic. In fact, they even got... In his costume, he's like, it looks like a, a sun with particles coming off of it. And I'm sure uh, Shag described that a lot better than I'm doing, but uh, in the show, they gave him something to help him uh, maintain his ability and to control it a little better. And the device he pops on his chest, it looks like the Firestorm symbol. Um, again, when he first came out... It was uh, Professor Martin Stein controlling Ronnie Raymond's body. He wasn't flaming or anything. Okay, this is what we're going to get. It's it's close. I, I could see the representation there, but I don't know. But then by the time they actually introduced him as Firestorm, Ronnie Raymond was control. <laughs> Professor Martin Stein was in his head talking to him. Oh, I, I giggled. I love that one. You know, you could hear Martin. Again, in the comic, they show his floating head to show that he's talking. The floating head wouldn't work so good in live action, but you do hear him talking to Ronnie, and he gives that 360-degree vision he has because Professor Stein, while he's not there, he can see everything going on around Ronnie, so he can warn Ronnie of things going on behind him. I can't gush enough. Ronnie, uh, Robbie Amell is doing a fantastic job as Ronnie Raymond. I forget his name, but the gentleman from, uh, he was on Alias, is, uh, I think, Sidney Briscoe, whatever her name, her, her dad. He plays Professor Martin Stein. I'm sorry for getting his name, but he does a fantastic fucking job as Professor Martin Stein. He's great. Uh, he's got glasses similar to Martin Stein. It's just, it's a great, character. They merge. The merging and the demerging of them and going into Firestorm is fantastic. It's, oh my god. Every time I see it, I start giggling and laughing like a little schoolgirl. It's fantastic. 
Um, like I say, he, he hasn't used his transmutation powers yet that Firestorm has. I would hope at some point they start doing that. In fact, when they first introduced Firestorm, and one of my... The things I'm not as happy with is Firestorm isn't his name per se. It's an acronym. It's a big, long-ass acronym. I forget exactly what it stands for. But part of the acronym is Transmutation, which is everyone knows, or should know, is one of Firestorm's main powers. Uh, so far in the show, all he's demonstrated is flight, uh, flame power. Um, that's the main thing, I guess. But So I'm, I'm hoping they do the transmutation at some point. He's supposed to show up here in the next couple of episodes sometime in the last few episodes of The Flash, the season finale. And then Professor Martin Stein's supposed to show up in the new uh, TV show they've got going on. They're going to start a new show this fall with uh, The Atom, P Professor Martin Stein, the guy that played the original Canary on Arrow, who died, so I don't know who she's going to be yet. It's supposed to have Rip Hunter, um, I believe it was Hot Girl, and somebody else, uh, a black character. Um, there's been rumors maybe people's wondering if it's Black Lightning, Static Shock. On the recent uh, Fire and Water podcast, they they theorize that maybe it's Jason Rush. Because Ronnie, uh, Robbie Amell, sorry, Robbie Amell, the plays Ronnie Raymond, hasn't signed on for the new series. So we're hoping we get some sort of firestorm. If they can't get Robbie back, it could be interesting to bring in Jason Rush, which was part of the Firestorm Matrix for a while, and bring him in as Firestorm. Again, we don't know yet. We'll have to wait and see. But, like I said, I, I keep saying it. In fact, I, I kept that episode of The Flash on my DVR for a while so I could play that scene where Firestorm would show up and my uh, wife came in. She's like, are you watching that again? <laughs> Why, yes, I am. It was great. It was fantastic. I just, oh, my God. Again, for everything that the Flash, or yeah, everything the Flash is doing right, Arrow seems to be doing wrong, in my opinion. Uh, Firestorm's been fantastic. Uh, I'll say it again: the the visuals great, the the fire aspect of it's really cool. I just I don't know. I just I love Firestorm. I can't wait for him to show up again. Again, hopefully on the new series, he is Firestorm quite a bit. He does show up as Firestorm on it. Again, if they can't get Robbie Amell, hopefully they'll get someone to play Jason Rush and have Jason Rush become Firestorm. While he wasn't my fire, favorite Firestorm, he wasn't bad. And I, again, any aspect to see Firestorm on the screen, I'll take. So, anyways, that's it for uh, After Movies of Head this week. Uh, stay tuned while I talk about other things. Again, I'm going to play another ad, and I'll be right back with the next segment. I got a bad feeling about this. You'd be feeling a lot better, Han, if you were listening to Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast hosted by me, Ryan Daly. That doesn't sound too hard. It's not hard. You just check out Dead Boffin Spies on iTunes, Facebook, or the blog page, deadboffinspies.blogspot.com. 
Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Well, I, I don't know if terror is an appropriate description. It's a podcast that combines everything you love about me talking and some of what you love about Star Wars. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. Fine, whatever. Do that after you listen to Dead Boffin Spies. Yoda. You seek Yoda! No, you seek Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast. Check it out. It beats kissing a Wookiee, I would think. <laughs> Geekin' with Head. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! yourself why did I play the beginning of the Star Wars intro, Brother Head? Well, a very good reason. Uh, today on Geekin' with Head, I am going to talk about Star Wars. Yes, Star Wars. And I threatened here back at the beginning of my uh, very first headcast that I may pull people out of my basement and see what they have to say about things. Well, today I've got my very first special guest. I first heard of this man on the Fire and Water podcast. Uh, he's a, a frequent letter writer to them. His name on there is Count Druncula, but I've come to know him as Ryan Daly. Ryan, like any other intelligent human being, is a huge Star Wars fan. In fact, so much so, he started his own Star Wars podcast called Dead, Mafia, and Spies, along with a Black Canary blog and podcast. But anyways, today I'm going to talk with Ryan about Star Wars. Hello, Ryan. How are you doing, Head? Oh, doing all right. Uh, so you run the uh, Black Canary blog, uh, Flowers and Fishnets, and then the Star Wars podcast, correct? Yeah, I've got a. I've actually got a, a blog based on the Black Canary podcast. Um, I've got a Black Canary podcast based on that blog. It's called the Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. 
but yes, I also have a Star Wars themed podcast called Dead Boffin Spies. And so the perfect person to talk with Star Wars about. First, a little background on Star Wars for the one or two people out there that may have never heard of Star Wars. From Wikipedia, Star Wars is an American epic space opera franchise centered on a film series created by George Lucas. There's currently six movies out, uh, the two trilogies, and then at least three more movies for the uh, trilogy, another trilogy, and then there's going to be supposed to be several uh, spin-off movies. I heard they've got the next one coming out, uh, or as far as spin-off, is Rebel 1 or something like that. Yeah, Rogue One. I think. Rogue One, there you go. Rogue One, and then I've heard they're supposed to be doing a Han Solo and possibly a Boba Fett origin movie, if you will. Right. Uh, then there's been five anima- animated series. There's Star Wars Droids back in the 80s, Ewoks, which was also in the mid-80s, uh, The Clone Wars from, ni- er, from 2003 to 2005, which is an animated micro-series. Then there was their most recent Star Wars The Clone Wars, and then currently there's Star Wars Rebels on Disney XD. And then they're talking about doing a Star Wars Detours written by, uh, or someone that has to do with the uh, Robot Chicken series. Okay. And then there's countless novels, comic books, and a shit ton of video games, trading card games, and role-playing games. Do you have anything to add there, uh, Ryan? Um, no, it just uh, you reminded me that I think this is the 30th anniversary of Droids. And maybe Ewoks, too. Maybe those both came out in 1985. Uh, yes, they actually, I was just looking at my notes here. Yes, they both came out in September of 1985. So, yes, in September will be the 30th anniversary of both Droids and Ewoks. Did you happen to watch either of those? Not at the time. I've, I've gone back and I've watched a few of the episodes on on YouTube just to try and see if there was anything worth scrounging <laughs> Um, I, I was actually surprised. I watched a few episodes of droids. The storytelling isn't bad. It's actually, there's some, there's some interesting stories there. Um, some fun little adventures, but the animation is really bad for 1985 standards. When you think about what else was going on in 1985 with, you know, Transformers and GI Joe and Thundercats and all of those, you know, those cartoons that people from the eighties just grew up on and loved, droids looks horrible by comparison yeah i remember i didn't watch it on a regular basis because it was star wars i wanted to but yeah, i just couldn't get into i don't remember if it was just the art or if it was the storytelling but yeah, I, I do remember droids and ewoks being on i was around 15 at the time they came out so i think i was probably a little older than their target demographic but i do remember those and i don't remember them very fondly <laughs> I don't think many people do. <laughs> <laughs> and then let me see. So as Star Wars first came out May the 25th of 1977. And then in 1981, they retitled it Episode 4, A New Hope. And then they had the next two movies. They came out three years apart. There was Empire, uh, Episode 5, Empire Strikes Back. And Episode 6, uh, Return of the Jedi. And then 16 years later, they had the second trilogy, which again was released three years apart. Most recently, in 2012, Disney acquired Star Wars from Lucas for just over $4 billion, which is a whole lot of money. 
And uh, plus all the money Lucas has made over the years with all the Star Wars stuff. Oh, yeah. And then, as I said, there was a whole bunch of books they've written on these. They've all, all those books are now it's called the Expanded Universe. It's stuff that takes place outside of the movies. That's been now moved to a series called Legends. And since Disney's acquired Star Wars, they're restarting all the canon. And the only thing that's in canon right now is the uh, six movies and then the current cartoon Rebels, plus one or two books that have just came out. And that's it for the real the background, on, you know, loose background on the movies themselves. Do you have anything to add about any of that? No, we covered it. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go ahead and talk about the movies themselves then. Uh, we can't really talk about Star Wars without talking about Episode Four, A New Hope. I, I want to say I saw it when it first came out in theaters back in 77 or so, but my memory is very shoddy. I may have seen it on a re-release, because my memory, I remember I thought it said Episode Four, A New Hope when it started. Mm. So either I, I saw it on a re-release later on, or my memory is just playing tricks on me. I'm not sure which it is. <laughs> Could be either one. <laughs> Did you see it in the theaters, or I'm not sure how old you are, Ryan? No, I was born in 81, so oh, I was okay. live when Star Wars or Empire came out in theaters. But I, I did see Return of the Jedi in the theater, and if my memory is being truthful, which <laughs> might not be, I think that was the first movie that I ever saw in the theaters. Now, oh, wow. it, it wouldn't have been in 83 because I wouldn't have even been two years old at the time. I know it was a re-release in either 85, maybe 86, but I think it was 85. But yeah, I saw Jedi in the theater, and that was the first movie that I saw in the theater. Well, very nice. But I also, by that time, I, I was familiar with the series. I had seen Star Wars and Empire on VHS. Right on. And Star Wars, like I say, it's me. I still love it. I think it's a classic. Um, I know my kids have tried to watch. My boys are 21 and 22. Uh, they've tried watching it, and they feel it's a little dated. Mm. Um. I thought about disowning for that, but that's beside the point. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so Star Wars tells the story of a young farm boy named Luke Skywalker who who dreams of getting off his little planet of Tatooine and going out and seeing the, the galaxy. And this happens when he uh, his uh, uh, uncle buys a couple of droids that happen to belong to the Rebel Alliance who is fighting the Galactic Empire. And uh, Mr. Skywalker ends up meeting an old hermit named Ben Kenobi, who we find out later on is named Obi-Wan Kenobi in actuality. And after his, uh, spoilers for a uh, really old movie, after his uncle and aunt are killed, <laughs> Luke uh, takes off from Tatooine with the droids and Obi-Wan with a pilot named Han Solo and his co-pilot, a Wookiee, a giant hairy creature. They take off to try to uh, deliver the plans to the planet Aldrin. Along the way, they encounter the Empire's newest weapon called the Death Star, a giant humongous space station, if you will, that can destroy a planet. And they do destroy the planet Aldron before... Luke and gang gets there, and the movie ends with Luke and Han helping out the Rebel Alliance in destroying the Empire's uh, battle platform, the Death Star. 
and along the way you also meet the, the main, at this time, the main bad guy, uh, Mr. Badass himself, Darth Vader. So what were your impressions when you first, or of what you remember from seeing Star Wars way back when? Um, just, I mean, even as a kid, and I mean, being a, a kid growing up in the 80s when I was exposed to so many different cartoons and, you know, action figures and like franchises like that. Even back then, Star Wars kind of set itself apart because I knew on some level that it just didn't look and feel like anything else. <laughs> this and is true. It's it does it is in a it is in a in a way it's a love letter to every type of sort of storytelling genre that you can imagine. I mean, there are there are elements of classical war stories told in this movie. There are elements of Western movies in Star Wars. There are elements of pirate movies and pirate and high seas adventure stories. There is like classical sword and sorcery type of themes throughout this movie. And it, it takes all of these and kind of like throws them together in a pot and kind of like spits them out. And you, you see all of these things, but they're also melded into this kind of science fiction fantasy. That's really different than anything you had seen. Um, and the characters, like, despite the crazy settings, the alien planets and the creatures and everything, the characters are all recognizable. You see something in them that you can gravitate to. Because I think every boy has felt at one point that they were that kid who wanted to get away from home, who just wanted to get off the farm and get away from his parents who were holding them down and wanted to go to the big city and have an adventurous life. Or... Every kid wanted to be, you know, the Lone Ranger, the smuggler, the pirate with the heart of gold, the cool guy who gets the car and gets the dog and gets the girl. So between the two main male heroes, Luke and Han, there was something for every boy to kind of grow up and aspire to. So I think the, the character, it, like when you boil everything that was special about the movie in terms of the setting and the special effects – it was still a very human movie, even with the Wookiees and the droids and Darth Vader. <laughs> it was still those those humans, Han and Leia and Luke Skywalker, that everybody wanted to be and wanted to see. Very, very elegantly pet. Much more than I could have done. And also, you, you talked about Han Solo and Luke Skywalker. And they also had, you know, a female in there, which, mm -hmm. while she was a damsel in distress, she wasn't a damsel in distress. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't. She, she wasn't the kind of damsel in distress that you would expect. Yeah, she stood up to the uh, the big bad Darth Vader, the the big bad bad guy. She stood up to him. She wouldn't back down. And when uh, Luke and Han broke into Freer, she helped. You know, get her get them out of there. Right. Yeah. She she is instrumental in their escape, and she also complains throughout the escape. It's sort of. <laughs> Like when you think back to like the stories of the knight who saves the princess from the castle tower and imagine she's just like, she's like, wait, that's your horse. That horse looks pathetic. Why is your, why is your suit of armor so rusted and old? How old are you? Like, aren't you a little short to be a knight? Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it had those recognizable tropes that you see from all those, those classical stories, but it also broke from some of them in ways. And I think that made Princess Leia a little bit more interesting than what would be the conventional damsel in distress. Because, yeah, she needed to be rescued, but she was also, you know, she was feisty. She was scrappy. 
Very much so. And you mentioned earlier the sword and sorcery. Uh, uh, Luke Skywalker's weapon that was given to him by uh, Obi-Wan is a sword called a lightsaber. And then most people use guns in the universe, but you have the Jedi Order that we hear very briefly about. Uh, their weapon of choice was the lightsaber. And we also find out, supposedly, that Luke's father was had trained with, or trained under Obi-Wan, and was killed by Darth Vader back during something called the Clone Wars, was also mentioned. Uh, I know as a kid, I was always curious to know what the Clone Wars was, and I, I don't think at this time, Lucas had a big idea what it really was, from what I've read. No, I think it was just sort of... Came out later. Yeah. <laughs> Just a throwaway line that sounded cool. Yes. Yeah, like a Clone Wars, so were they were there actually clones fighting, or were they fighting to save the lives of clones? It's, it's curious. And we don't actually find out what the real Clone Wars is about until, oh, the mid-2000s when they did the, the new trilogy. But, yeah, then the, like I say, in the first Star Wars, The New Hope, we had the Death Star, which was the giant... Uh, it was bigger than a moon from descriptions, and it had the power to destroy a whole planet. Yep. It's a really awesome weapon that uh, Luke was able to destroy because of a faulty uh, design, design flaw. They're able to shoot down an exhaust port and cause the entire station to explode. Yeah, that's... Well, you know, 1977. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a lot of people ridicule that. I mean, I'm like, well... It's not something you really, they didn't plan for that to happen as far as the people that built the Death Star and engineered it. It's, it's just this design fall that, you know, they're like, well, no one's going to be able to shoot that little hole. Right. So, I mean, if, even if, you know, there's probably, you know, one pencil pusher that was working on the plan like, you know what, boss, there's this little, there's this one little weakness here that if you can shoot a, uh, a rocket or something down this small little port, no bigger than a womp rat, it can go down into our main batteries, and it can cause things to explode. Oh, shut up, Jeffrey. You know what you're talking about. It'll be exactly. fine. No one's going to do that. <laughs> Don't talk back to your boss. You're demoted. You're going to have to yeah, well, trash compactors now for a week. <laughs> well, as long as he wasn't the trash compactor on the uh, Death Star, he, he still may be alive. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's the original Star Wars again. I Everything that Ryan said... Is absolutely true. It's a great movie. Um, here it is, you know, 30-some-odd years later. Wow, it's coming up on 40 years, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. In two more years, it'll be 40 years. Wow. I think, I think actually, they're planning... Yeah, because Disney recently released, like, their release schedule for the upcoming movies, and I, right, think, right. I think Episode 8 is coinciding with the 40-year release. Wow. Of the first Star Wars. Because I think episode 8 is going to be released in May of 2017. Wow. Yeah, I just got thinking about that. I'm like, well, it was 30 years. No, it's, that's been a couple years ago. Well, no, it's almost 40 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's invaded our culture. It's, you know, it's not something that's just gone away. It's it kind of faded for a little while back in the late 80s. Right. And then it came back with a vengeance. Uh, but then after Star Wars, like I said earlier, they, after a three-year gap, they came out with the second movie, Episode Five, uh, The Empire Strikes Back. In this movie here, we find our beloved rebels 
hold up on an ice world called Hoth. Uh, the Empire attacks and they get away. Luke goes to the Dagobah system where he meets up with a old Jedi master named Yoda while the rest of our team uh, while fleeing the Empire end up on uh, Bespin, the Cloud City where Han Solo meets an old buddy of his named Lando Calrissian, the baddest mofo in the galaxy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or at least listen to him talk, he is. The smoothest uh, mofo in the galaxy. <laughs> there you go, the smoothest. Uh, on on uh, Bespin, we uh, once again run into Darth Vader, and we also uh, get a real good look finally at Boba Fett, and... Uh, Let's see. Luke leaves Dagobah just briefly after, during his training because he feels his friends are in trouble. He heads back to Bespin, or heads to Bespin to help his friends. Uh, Han Solo is placed in Carbonite and handed over to uh, Boba Fett to take the job of the Hut, a gangster, if you will, that uh, owes or that uh, Han Solo owes money to. Uh, Luke shows up. Luke and Vader fights. Luke loses a hand and finds out that what Obi-Wan told him was not entirely true, that his father wasn't killed by Vader, but is instead became Darth Vader. And then he ends up getting rescued by Lando Calrissian and Princess Leia as they head off to find Han Solo as the movie ends. Again, another great movie. In fact... I think this one's probably considered one, the best of the uh, trilogy. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of people. The general consensus is that Empire is the best movie. That's not agreed. That's not universally agreed upon, but a lot of people think so. Uh, I think I think Empire is certainly the best technically made movie. Um, it, I think it's it's better directed. It's better written. It's better acted than the original Star Wars. It's got better music. The the dramatic reveals, uh, like everything seems a little bit more charged, a little bit more heightened, and a little bit more dangerous and mysterious. Um, so I think, I mean, the first Star Wars from start to finish, I think, is a pretty perfect and flawless adventure film. Yes. In terms of in terms of like the flow of the story and how we meet new characters and how they go from one set of dangers to another and the cliffhangers and everything. I think Star Wars is pretty flawless that way, but I mean, just Empire is just made better. Yeah, I don't know if it's just nostalgic talking, but personally, I like Star Wars A New Hope a little better. I think it's partly just because it's the first one. It, it set the ground for everything that was to come. Yeah, my love for the original Star Wars has grown a lot just over the last couple years. Um, <laughs> and right now... They're like one and one A. It's like Empire and then Star Wars, just like right below it. But they're, they are they're, neck and neck. Yeah, they're both A plus. So because yeah, Star Wars has it for you know for starting the whole thing for being as you said originally or as you said earlier, it combined all these different elements and presented it in a brand new way. Yeah. You know, it was fun for you know boys, girls, whoever you were, you know, adults. As far I mean, again, I was. When it first came, Star Wars came out, I was seven. Uh, but from what I can tell, you know, adults seem to enjoy it. It was for everybody. Yeah. And as you said, well, 
Empire is a technically a better film, better crafted. I mean, to me, Star Wars gets a little bit more just for being the first. Yeah, no, that's understandable. Extra bonus points. <laughs> and I also, I think, I think the the major complaint that you could level at the Empire Strikes Back is that it does end on a cliffhanger. The story isn't necessarily concluded by the end of it. Whereas you could watch Star Wars, and that could be the only movie in the saga that you watch. That could be your only experience with Star Wars, and you get a full story. If Lucas had stopped after Star Wars, I mean, that's a full movie. It tells the story. Yeah, that's all. It has to be interesting to see what else happens, but that gives you an entire story right there. Right. Whereas if you only watch The Empire Strikes Back, or if you stop there and don't continue on with the rest of the saga, you, I mean, the characters, their, their fates are still in a, in a state of flux by the end of the movie. Like the story hasn't resolved. Well, as, as Kevin Smith said in uh, Clerks, you know, Empire ends on such a downer. Right. I mean, you know, our hero got his, gets his hand cut off. One of the other heroes gets encased in carbonite mm-hmm. and shipped off to the, one of the other bad guys. So, yeah, it's not your classic, let's end, you know, everyone's happy, everyone's, you know, back where we started the movie at or better. Everyone here, you know, well, Han Solo's in a worse position than he was to begin with, by far. (laughs) Luke has found out that his father is the galactic bad guy and has a robotic arm now, or hand. Yeah, I think his his emotional trauma probably trumps even the, even like, you know, losing a limb. Yes. Um, it's a pretty pretty catastrophic injury. But. Yeah. He goes, just knowing his dad's dead, finding out that his dad was a Jedi Knight that was killed by uh, Darth Vader. And then here, here at the end, yeah, he finds you know, hanging over that, uh, on that spire or whatever it was, he hmm. learns that the big bad guy he's been fighting and that's got the entire galaxy under his boot hill is indeed his father. Right. So... Yeah, I mean, I had a pretty messed up childhood at times, but yeah, I don't think anything I ever encountered uh, came close to that. <laughs> Here's hoping. <laughs> but so uh, I don't remember if you again. It's been so long. I don't know if you remember. How did you feel when you when you found out that Darth Vader was Luke's father, supposedly? See, I think at the time I was so young, I don't think the gravity of what that meant had such an impact on me. I, I do remember being a little bit surprised and just like, huh, that's not what we were told. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's see how this plays out. I think at that point I'm, I was probably two or three watching it on, on cable or watching it on VHS and just not really, really grasping yeah. the full scope of that. So I don't think I, under, I, I just wasn't old enough to understand how momentous, a, a reveal that was at the time. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, you're a bit younger than I am. I I do remember. I, that left me like, what? The? I was about 12, 13 when I saw uh, Empire Strikes Back. So that left me like, what? What the hell? Yeah. I, I was very taken aback by that. But again, as you said, this was technically a better made movie. I don't think anyone can really argue that. Uh, this did pick up not right where the last one left off, but a few years later uh, we catch up with our team of uh, misfit heroes, if you will. 
again, it was a very enjoyable film. I, I enjoyed it. I still enjoy it to this day. Yeah. Um, I know that from what I've stories I've heard and things I've read, I guess the reason they had at the beginning of the movie, uh, Luke Skywalker is out on patrol and gets captured by a, uh, What's the name of the creature? The, the, the Wampa. The Wampa Ice Monster, yeah. Yes, Wampa. I guess I heard that I guess he had had an accident before the movie started, and so he had some scars on his face, and that's why they kind of wrote that in there to explain. Yeah, they needed to, they needed to sort of justify, because I, I think he was in a motorcycle accident and needed some reconstructive surgery on his face, so they, they changed it. Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, he was in some sort of accident or some sort of something happened. He had some scars, and yeah. so that's why they were that scene in there, which worked out very good. Oh no, yeah, I mean it's it's a memorable beginning. I mean, you see the hero <laughs> that you've been following in danger. He's about to be eaten by something that looked like the the abominable snowman from Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. All the fine bumble. Yeah, bumble. <laughs> but yes, uh, and I'm, I'm going to say this here. I mean. In your sense, with the expanded universe, especially Boba Fett's became you know sort of a badass. Everyone loves Boba Fett. Yep. This is just things that people have picked up on. If you watch the movies themselves, and I've told my wife this one day, honestly, Boba Fett isn't much more than a glorified UPS man. <laughs> He's supposed to be the baddest bounty hunter in the galaxy, but all we see him do is stand around. He takes possession of uh, the frozen Han Solo and ships him off. He does surprisingly little for a character with his <laughs> street cred. It's, yeah, it's just one of those things where basically just the he, his look and his attitude was defined so well so quickly. Yes. That everyone was just like, all right, he's a badass. <laughs> but it, it is one of those things where the more you show of him... The more it knocks, the more it kind of chips away at that badass, like the mythos around him. So. And like I say most of the mythos comes from the expanded universe and stuff that people have written later. Again, yeah, if you, if you watch the movies, he doesn't really do a whole lot to earn, except for looking. Like I say I do agree, he's got a very awesome look. He looks like a badass, but he doesn't really do anything in the movies to. Uh, to get that credit. No, I think I think the only real thing is that the the there is a hint of some kind of past between him and Darth Vader. And where just the the way he delivers his lines in the original version before they were before the, he his voice was recast and redone right. in that original version, the way his lines were delivered, he wasn't he didn't defer, he wasn't subservient to Darth Vader. You could tell that they had this history and there was some animosity between them. Um, and certainly he wouldn't cross Darth Vader. He's not, he, you know, he wouldn't try and attack Vader. He'd be killed instantly because Vader is active. But you also knew that he's not going to like bow or genuflect when Darth Vader walks in the room. And I think just the fact that he could command that type of, that type of respect and that type of autonomy just made him a little bit cooler. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, I just, just thought I had here not too long ago. I mean, the wife was talking and something came out Boba Fett. And I'm like, you know, honestly, if you look at the movies, he's not much more than a glorified UPS man. <laughs> but but he's a, a badass looking UPS man. So If my UPS Mr. man looked like that, 
<laughs> I would I would have a lot more fear and respect for my UPS man. Uh, this is true. It's uh, those green shorts, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's uh, the Empire Strikes Back, which was the second movie released, but the fifth. Uh, episode, if you will. And then three years later, there was the Return of the Jedi. I know before it came out, uh, my godmother actually went to, I forget where it was, some some theme park or somewhere where there was a Lucas presence at. Mm-hmm. And she came back and she said that she had heard you know, a rumor going around that there was going to be a reveal of Luke Skywalker and Leia being related somehow. Mm-hmm. Before the movie came out, she, you know, we was at her house and she was telling me this. Uh, so getting to that, Return of the Jedi, uh, we find that our hero starts out there trying to rescue uh, Han Solo from Jabba Hutt's palace back on Tatooine, where Luke started out at. Uh, Luke goes in, he rescues. Well, first Leia tries to rescue him, disguised as a bounty hunter. She gets captured. Luke comes in and uses his Jedi presence to try and free Han Solo. When that doesn't work out, he gets captured also. Uh, they end up over a Sarlacc pit, which is a giant creature in the sands of Tatooine. And they're going to be thrown in there, which they're going to be digested for, what was it, a thousand years or ten thousand years or something like that? The creature slowly digests its prey. They escape this, and uh, Jabba the Hutt gets killed. Again, spoiler warning for a 30-year-old movie. <laughs> uh, let's see. Then they go on. Luke returns back to Dagobah to continue his training under Yoda, where he finds Yoda dying, and Yoda passes on some more information about his family. that I mentioned in the rumor I heard earlier. He finds out that he does have a twin sister named... Leia. Uh, taken back by this, he joins up with our uh, band of heroes, and they are going to the planet moon of Endor, where there's a second Death Star being built. Again, there's a little more fighty fight, and they end up with the help of Lando Calrissian destroying the second Death Star. And this war movie ends for all time. Never another movie to be made ever again. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And I, I've heard back in the late '80s, I think it was, I'd heard rumors that Lucas had said he was he had planned a, a set of tr- uh, trilogies to take place beforehand. I've heard rumors that he planned a set of trilogies for a sequel. But and then I've, other times I'd heard that he just was going to do the three movies and that was it. So. Yeah. So what was your original thoughts on uh, Return of the Jedi? Well, like I said, it was I, I believe it was the first movie that I saw in the theater. I saw it um, in a re-release, probably in 85. I saw it with my dad and my brother. Um, and at the time, I loved it. Um, it is it is a more kid-friendly movie than the others. Um, yes. There are a lot of silly elements, we would call it, as adults. Um, the Ewoks... The characters in Jabba's palace, a lot of them are designed to kind of look like kind of like Muppets, something that would be eye-catching for kids, uh, something that would be easily merchandisable. And merchandise, they did. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, I did like those elements, but even as a kid, I, I liked the Ewoks as a kid. 
but I never thought they were like I never needed to see Ewok movies or an Ewok cartoon <laughs> show after that. Like again, even as a kid, even as the as they target demographic, the target audience for those Ewoks, I never needed to see more of those. I really wanted to see more of Luke and Han and Leia. Yeah, as a five or six show, you probably would have been their their target demographic. I would imagine exactly, especially um, for the Ewoks and all the other cute little things they had in the movie. Exactly, um, but I think I think that was the problem, and that's why a lot of people who criticize Return of the Jedi focus on the Ewoks um, because they're the easiest thing to point to and just say right. that's when that's when Lucas didn't care about telling the story anymore. He just wanted to sell like little stuffed teddy bears to kids. Um, I, I can see that. Which, as you say, they did. They did that a lot. Yeah, um, yeah, but the, yeah the merchandising. That again, we mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, there's the Ewoks cartoon. Right. There was the two, two TV movies. Yeah. Uh, right. Based on the Ewoks adventures. Yeah. But but I still don't think the Ewoks are the worst part of that movie. My problem is it. We we see the culmination of Luke's adventure. It has to be him finishing his story. He has to right. confront Darth Vader and the Empire and fulfill his destiny in one form or another. He'll either succeed or fail, but it's his story. The problem is he is the only character that has an arc like that in the movie. Han Solo and Princess Leia don't do anything really important in the movie. In fact, you could take them out of the movie and the plot wouldn't change. The main plot, yes. I mean, again, Princess Leia, as we mentioned earlier, she does take things in her own hands. She is the one that kills off Jabba the Hutt. And that's cool. I mean, yeah, yeah. And I in like her that. little slave girl outfits. I think that was appealing to my demographic at the time, the teenage boy, you know. <laughs> there you go. And that works. <laughs> but I thought that was cool. You know, Princess Leia would, you know, choke the shit out of Jabba. So, but yes, you could remove them and basically get the same story out without, you know. But the way I look at the original trilogy, it's basically Luke Skywalker's story. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I mean, we start out with Luke Skywalker, you know, farm boy on, you know, this some backwater farm. And we end with him, you know, saving the entire galaxy and at the very end becoming a Jedi Knight, if you will, and destroying both Darth Vader and the Emperor. Right. And it's good. I, I like the the final moments, the final battles between Luke and his and Darth Vader, um, and the Emperor. Like uh, all the shots, like in the Emperor's throne room, it's a really it's a really well like lit scene. They're all in black, but you've got these two harsh contrasts with a red lightsaber and a green lightsaber, and kind of the blue accents of the room. Like it, it's very cool to look at. I like that that finale. Oh, visually it's fantastic. I mean, yeah. the, the lightning flying all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, visually it's just very fantastic. But, but as I mentioned earlier, oh, sorry, were you going to say, Ryan? No, I was going to say, I, I, I like the movie. I still love it a lot. I do think it is the weakest, and not because of the Ewoks, but just because of problems where the other characters don't really have enough to do. Han Solo's fate at the end of The Empire Strikes Back was so memorable and so iconic. That if that had been the end of him, that would have been great. But they make a big deal about saving him and bringing him back in Return of the Jedi. And it felt like that was just because the character was so popular, we needed to have Han Solo again. But once they bring him back, he didn't really have anything important to do. Yeah, he didn't really do anything that someone else couldn't have done. Exactly. 
I mean, even even the battle at the end of the Death Star, Lando Calrissian is flying the Millennium Falcon. Right, right. I mean, they, they took his ship and gave it to Lando, and Lando used it to help destroy the Death Star. So, I mean, yes, he, he Han did help bring down the barrier around the Death Star, but again, almost any schmuck could have done that. Yeah, they had a they had a crew of special forces soldiers with them that should have yeah. been able to do that. So, you know, I, I do agree. I say it doesn't bother me as much because I do, I, I do look at Star Wars, the original trilogy at least, as Luke Skywalker's story. It tells from beginning to end. Yeah. No matter how popular they are, how, you know, much you may like them, Han and Leia and Chewie are really just supporting members. Yeah, no, Luke, no. That's so, definitely. Uh, Luke's story. Yeah, I agree. But, again, that was a great movie. Uh, I remember when I found out that Luke and Leia were brother and sister. I put that if, this little spin on that first movie when uh, Luke and Leia have that little kiss before swinging across the cat chasm. Yeah. And then in the second movie, I believe they kiss too. Yeah, she kisses him when he's in when he's recovering in the in the hospital. And trying to make trying to make Han jealous. Yeah. But yeah, and then we find out they're actually brother and sister. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read the Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the novel that was written after A New Hope. Yeah. Uh, I know Alan Dean Foster had tried to have some sort of relationship between Luke and Leia because back then they Lucas what didn't realize he was going to have them be brother and sister, so there was a possibility of a romance between those two. And it, I mean, again, when you look back at the the classical tropes and the classical themes that they were borrowing from, that seems like that would be the couple. You would you would get this romantic couple, and it would be between your main hero and the princess. Yes, and Luke That's... Skywalker was the main character we've just talked about. Uh, he was the, the shiny knight. He had the sword and everything. When he rescued Princess Leia, he was in the armor. Right. So, yes, yes, he was the hero, and he's the one that should get the princess. But they had to change that because... In the continuation, in Empire Strikes Back, Luke has to go on this very personal journey of sacrifice and spirituality in order to develop his his mastery of the Force. And there just isn't time in his life and in the story to develop a romantic subplot with that. So they kind of had to shift that to a romance between... Princess Leia and Han, the guy you wouldn't asso- assume would get the girl. The smuggler with a heart of gold. Yeah. <laughs> but but again, yes, I enjoyed uh, Return of the Jedi. Um, I know I've heard stories originally when they were first writing it, it was being written under Revenge of the Jedi, or that's what the studios wanted called, was Revenge of the Jedi. Yeah. And I've heard that Lucas said, well, no, revenge isn't a Jedi's way. I don't know how much of that has actually happened or how much of this is just Lucas looking back and saying, no, this is what happened. Because <laughs> I've learned, <laughs> listening to different interviews with Lucas, that uh, things can change from one retelling to the next. So, so yeah, but yeah, overall I enjoyed Return of the Jedi. I, I didn't mind the Ewoks. But again, as you said, I think it can be uh, universally, it is the worst of the original trilogy. Possibly a lot of that due to the Ewoks, to the the more the Muppets that were in the movie. While it did have, you know, it still had, you know, some great, fantastic battles. Again, it did have the downfall of the Emperor. Darth Vader redeemed himself. Yeah, some of the action beats in Return of the Jedi are terrific. I, the final lightsaber duels are great. The space battle around the second Death Star is awesome. When you see 
kind of the the whole Imperial fleet and the Rebel fleet kind of going at it head to head. That's really cool. The rescue, the the rescue of Hansel at at Jabba's sail barge when Princess Leia takes out Jabba and Luke is taking off everybody else. It's that that like feels like an old yes. old pirate movie, you know, when you've got characters like swinging from Very one ship so. to the next. Like that's I mean, there, it's that that is a really really fun. And yeah, it was sequence. on a sail barge, would be reminiscent of a ship. What kid hasn't tried on a diving board? To like jump and turn around and grab the board and flip back up on top like it does when he's on the plane. And how many kids haven't like splintered a wrist or broken their mouth or something? Yeah, I never actually tried that just because I was smart enough to realize, you know what? I'm not very coordinated. I could hurt myself doing that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and going back, you know, just that uh, scene there on Tatooine with the the barge and all that. Once again, going back to Boba Fett's. Again, once again, he, he proves that he's not really the baddest bounty hunter around as he gets taken out and nope. falls into the Starlight Pit, never to be seen from again. <laughs> Except for the expanded universe when he blasts his way out and returns later on. But <laughs> Right. Except for a year later in the Marvel comics, and then whenever a new company got the license for him, they brought him back immediately. But again, yeah, again, he didn't really do much in this movie other than stand around. He pulled his gun out, his backpack... I forget who hit his backpack, which caused it to short out, caused him to fly into the Sarlacc. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I, 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 accidentally. If I'm not mistaken, it was an accident. Someone accidentally hit it and caused it to short circuit and sent him flying off into the Sarlacc mm. like a little bitch. But, uh, <laughs> but again, once again, watching these last two movies where we really see Boba Fett, he doesn't really do anything. So it's just his look is what get every, the fans like, oh, he's supposed to be the baddest one around. So, you know, fans grew up and wrote stories about uh, Boba Fett. And that's where his badness comes from is the later stories. But that's enough about yeah, the yeah. EPS man. Uh, <laughs> so the uh, Return of the Jedi. Again, it was, it was a good movie, especially for the time. Not as good as The Empire Strikes Back, but it does wrap everything up. Uh, Han Solo gets out of the Carbonite, as we talked about. Luke destroys the... Uh, well, he doesn't destroy the Emperor. He makes his dad realize that family is more important than power, and Darth Vader turns on the Emperor and destroys the Emperor, uh, killing himself in the process. One thing I've heard complaints about with, with uh, Return of the Jedi is a lot of people mock the fact that the uh, Ewoks were able to take out the Stormtroopers on Endor. I've heard a lot, a lot of complaints yeah. as well. I mean, the way I look at it, and again, maybe just me fan-winking, but I believe it's just that the, again, these are cute little cuddly creatures, look like little teddy bears, and I, I believe the Empire and the Stormtroopers in particular just didn't give enough credit and uh, underestimated what the Ewoks could do, and that's why the Ewoks were able to take them out so easily. Yeah, I think they were trying to do, they were trying to show kind of the, I don't know if they were trying to, you know, reference Native Americans or something else, but it was sort of like the local, like unassuming, kind of like the local population that kind of like rises up against like a, a technologically superior foe and is able to disarm them. Just, you know, you like almost sort of like the power of nature over the power of industry. It's like, 
kind of tapping into some of the same ideas that James Cameron was trying was, with Avatar. I was just thinking the same thing myself. That is very Avatar-like. Yeah. I guess Avatar was very Ewok-like. But... And I'm sure James Cameron would love to hear this, uh, this comparison. <laughs> I'm sure he would. But And that, that wraps up the original trilogy. Again, overall, I, I love the original trilogy. That, I mean, again, that's one thing that helped see about my geek, my geek roots is Star Wars. Yep. And, uh, I mean, after the movies, there was kind of a dry spell, kind of died out a few others, a few things here and there. I guess there was still the Marvel comics. I wasn't reading them at the time. Uh, my next exposure to Star Wars, bring me back into it, was uh, the start of the Expanded Universe novels with uh, the Thrawn trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was me too. At Target in Merced, California, with my cousin, and he had bought the books. And he's like, he knew I, I liked Star Wars as a kid, and he's like, "Oh, here, check these out." And so you know, he gave me the, the first trilogy to read. Thrawn trilogy, and I read those. I'm like, wow. So he he would buy the books, he would get in reading them, and he would pass them me to read. And this went on for a couple of years, so he moved away. And by this point, I was rehooked, so I had to start buying the damn books myself. <laughs> Here it is, 20 years later, and I'm still reading them. <laughs> Have you read much of the expanded yeah. universe novels? Yeah, I've read a I've read a lot of the expanded universe, not all of them, um, but. From from the Thrawn trilogy up to when they started like focusing on the prequel novels, kind of like two thousand three, two thousand four ish. Up until that point, I'd probably read ninety percent of the the expanded universe I've novels. I've either read them all, or I've got them, or I'm reading them all. I'm currently uh, I've got a mm-hmm. handful of them in my nook to read, and I, I've kind of put them to the side. And I've been reading some other stuff, and now with the the yeah. Disney acquisition of Star Wars, they've closed off the expanded universe and all that stuff that those novels now no longer take place or canon. So I mean, you know what? Yeah. They've got new stories coming out that actually are canon now. I'm going to go ahead and finish reading off these. So I'm, I'm finishing up those right now in chronological order, the ones I haven't read yet. How did you respond when you found out that they were that basically everything from the expanded universe up to that point was no longer officially canon. I heard a lot of people complain and bitch and moan that, you know, they're ruining it and da, 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 da. Me personally, I still own the books. I still, exactly for the most part, I enjoy all the books. There's a few here and there that aren't quite so good or the hit or miss, but overall I enjoy the expanded universe. And while I liked having it canon, if you will, I don't mind having it, you know, but then again, I'm a, I'm a big DC kid. I grew up on the multiverse and yeah. different, you know, alternate realities. So to me, it's just the expanded universe is an alternate reality for Star Wars. So it doesn't bother me yeah. that these are all now. Because I'm still reading them. If I want to go back and reread them, I can still reread them. It, just because Star Wars is no longer canon, it doesn't wipe them out of existence. I still own the books. Right. So, yeah, it didn't bother me at all, I you know. Me neither. I remember, like, hearing a lot of people were... Basically, just like when this happens, like when you read comics and there's a retcon, a lot of people are like, well, this makes everything that I've read up to this point invalid. No, it doesn't. You still had the experience right. of reading those stories and you still enjoy them. I actually thought that Star Wars was hurting itself by trying to make every movie, every cartoon, every book, every comic all on the same timeline. They 
they broke yeah. their back trying to fit all of these stories on one rigid timeline that you could look at from start to finish. I was like, why are you doing that? Some of these stories just flat out contradict each other. Yes, they do. And and they they can be good. Like I I go back to like the first the first some of the first expanded universe material. The Thrawn trilogy of books are great. And coming out at the same time, the the Dark Empire comics are great. But those stories don't fit well in the same universe. Yes, I, I agree. And they try to say it. It's like, no, Dark Empire takes place right after the end of The Last Command. It's like, well, it kind of spits in the face of what <laughs> The Last Command was about. And I want to enjoy both of these stories. So in my mind, I just had to make up. I was like, okay, my canon is different. These aren't the same these aren't the same stories. These aren't right. the same universes. So when they were like, yeah, these are all called legends now. These aren't going to be the official canon. I didn't bat an eye. Yeah, I was right. like, okay, fact, whatever. Me, it's like, you know what? It gives, it gives me an actual stopping point. And again, I've been sitting on these books for the last couple of years because I've got a shit ton of books to read as it is. But you know what? They've officially closed off that timeline. Nothing else is going to be written in that. It's a perfect time to go in there and actually right. get these damn things read and <laughs> get caught up on it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, so yeah, it didn't did yeah. bother me at all. Yeah, I, I did hear a lot of people, as you said, online complaining. Oh, you're ruining my childhood, or no, you're you're messing it up, or you're you know, exactly. not really. The books are still there, and that's one thing that bothers me when something comes out, they reboot a movie or do you know something later on. People will say you're ruining my childhood. Well, unless unless they've got right. you know Terminator technology and travel back in time, they're not messing with your childhood. You may not like the new thing that's right. coming out. Well, but the original movie, story, whatever you're referring to, it's still there. You still have your memories of it, so it's not ruining your childhood. Right. And plus, take that to take that to the next conclusion. They're making more Star Wars I'm movies now. Do you, but do you want those movies to have to adapt to 25 or 30 years of expanded universe material set after Return of the Jedi? It's like, exactly. okay... Now I have to explain all the stuff that's happened with Han and Leia's kids <laughs> in order to enjoy the next movie. It's like, no, you can't do that. And that's Let what I heard when they separate. were coming out, you know, the next three movies, and it's going to be set 30, 40 years later. I'm like, well, are they going to try to set that, in, you know, this is before they cut off the Expanded Universe. I was wondering, are they going to try to fit the, you right. know, because they've got the Expanded Universe, which tells, you know, what happened to Luke, Leia, Han. You know, they all grow up. Han and Leia get married. They have kids. Luke finds a love in Mara Jade, and they have a kid. But some horrible stuff happens yes, to their like kids. That, I've, I've, I've read all the, the uh, what was it, the Yanga Vaughn, whatever, the aliens from outside. I've read all yeah, of them. I've read the Swarm, Swarm War, but I haven't read the last two groupings of books yet. That's on my list of stuff to read. Yeah, so. yeah, me neither. But I guess that deals more with the kids. And Yeah, no, yeah, Han, again, spoilers warning for anyone that hasn't read the Expanded Universe books. Uh... Luke and Leia has three kids, the twins, and then young Anakin. And young Anakin dies. Yeah. Uh, Chewbacca dies in the expanded universe, for novel, you know, expanded universe novels. And there's more to it than that. Like, the, the character's like, and you don't want to have to explain all of this in the first hour yes. of a new movie. It's like, no, let them, let them just tell their own stories now. So that, that's one reason why I think it's a good idea to split those novels off and, and have the Star Wars movies be its own thing. And now they got some new expanded mm -hmm. universe books, if you will, that are, that are canon, they're coming out. But yeah, it's the last 20, 30 years of novels and 
comics and video games they've tied into it. Yeah, it's going to make it a little daunting to come out with Episode 7 now and and not counterdict anything that's came before or drop in the middle of something that's really confusing. If you, you know, like me, I've tried to keep up on all these books. But I haven't read all the comics. I haven't played all the video games yeah. that are supposedly tied into it. So, yeah, so yeah, it would be a little daunting, a little confusing coming off Episode 7 saying, okay, well, here's Episode 7, but hopefully read some of these other books, you know what's going on here. This way it's a brand new start, if you will. And, you know, any, almost anyone should be able to jump in and hopefully catch up as long as you've seen the movies. Yeah. But speaking of movies, uh, we've talked about the original trilogy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and mention the prequels. I, I know we, we talked briefly, and I know you're not a fan of them. A lot of people's not. I No, no. But I like, they're not as good as the original, of course, but I, I like the prequels myself. Other than Hayden Christensen. He's the worst thing about those movies, in my opinion. Uh, I like movies he's in, but not because he's in them. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was the the first prequel that came out, episode one, The Phantom Menace. Uh, this tells the story of young Anakin uh, Skywalker meeting up with the Jedi on the planet Tatooine. Uh, he ends up going off to live with them to become a Jedi in brief. And at the very end, uh, Emperor, or I'm sorry, Senator Palpatine, getting ahead of myself, Senator Palpatine says he's going to take an interest in young Anakin. Uh, so just open up the can of worms. What is your problem with the, the prequels? Um, <laughs> Bri, you, you don't have to, you know, okay. give me the manifesto on it. But <laughs> well, first, uh, first to plug, to plug my own show on Dead Bath and Spies, uh, the Star Wars podcast. I spent the second episode talking with my friend Paul about why I think prequels in general okay. are problematic. Um, and, I, and I do think that in large part, the Star Wars prequels were cursed and damned before they even began. And I think the problem is because if you want to tell the story of Anakin Skywalker falling to the dark side, you're not telling a story that's going to surprise anybody. It's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's a predictable right. story. We know how it ends. If we've seen the originals, if you're setting it up as if these are the first ones that you're going to watch, then that's different. If your audience is coming into these movies, having never seen the classic trilogy, then that is different. Then they don't have those same problems. But I think George Lucas wrote and approached the prequels too familiar with his own work in the sense that there you ha you do need a lot of foreknowledge about who the Jedi are and what the Force is in order to understand certain elements of the prequels. Just interject real quick. I got a one of my best friend. Uh, he's not a Star Wars. He's not a geek. Uh, he's not a Star Wars fan. He's never really watched any of the movies. Uh, we went and watched the the first one episode uh, episode one. We went and watched that together at the movie theater. So he didn't have any of this background knowledge that I've got going into it. And I thought it was funny at the very end of uh, episode one, Palpatine looks over at young Anakin's like, "You have a future ahead of you. I'll be keeping an eye on you." But he looks over at me, he's like, "Okay, you know what's going on here? I don't trust this guy." <laughs> so he, without knowing, because he did not realize that this became the Emperor. He's like, yeah, he's so, 
Right. What's that? I don't trust this guy. <laughs> I don't trust him. So, I mean, and he enjoyed nice. it without having the background knowledge. So, I mean, it is, yeah. I think it is very acceptable. Well, um, and again, it could just be me. I think part of the problem, I see two problems with the prequels. One, you were saying that he was very slow, you know, he, new to a joke continuity. I think part of the problem is he didn't pay enough attention to what he's written previously. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true in certain respects. Like some of the details, some things, I mean, he contradicts well, a lot. Contradiction, you've got to make a, again, as another fan wink, you can kind of make things fit. I mean, originally, uh, New Hope, Obi-Wan right. tells Luke that, you know, he trained his father. He thought he knew better than the council. His father was the best pilot he ever met, or starfighter pilot he ever met. Yeah. Well, technically, it's true from what we find out eventually. You, you've got to kind of pull on a little bit to make it fit that mold. Because it was actually Obi-Wan's mentor, right. his trainer, that thought he could do a better job in the council. He wanted to take on Anakin. And right. while Anakin was a great pod racer, I mean, he, was, he wasn't really a pilot per se. So, I mean, there's things that you, you can right. make fit, but you've got to kind of twist it in there to... I mean, that, that was part of the problem. And I think the other part of the problem, or a lot of people have with the movies, is, you know, they complain about people like uh, Jar Jar Binks and things like that. I think, again, much like Episode 3, he was tr trying to... Or Episode 3, Episode 6, uh, Return of the Jedi. He was trying to make these to a little bit of a younger fan base. And, I mean... A lot yeah. of people that are going to watch it were our age, 30s, 40s, 50s, people that grew up on Star Wars. Right. right. And when they came out, a lot of us were kids, so we accepted this kiddie stuff a lot more. And we grew up with it, and it, it's not quite so kiddified to us now because we grew up with it. Whereas trying to watch it now right. and that's, yeah. in a brand new movie, I, I think people's expectations are a little too high. Right. And that's that's kind of the problem with with the audience. I mean, what kind of audience you're making the movie for and what kind of audience is going to see the movies. And you see that problem a lot when they do, when Hollywood turns out these, these remakes right. of classic movies, like when they, when they remade RoboCop yes. recently or total recall. Now, if you ask people who had seen the original RoboCop and the original total recall, they saw these movies, they saw the remakes and they hated them. They said, no, this was stupid. Why did you make, why did you make a new one? The first one was perfect. But if you approached an audience who had never seen the original one, what they thought about the remake of RoboCop, oh, they loved it. They thought this was great. So, well, then you have to understand that the fans of RoboCop are not the people that Hollywood is making that sure. movie for. So, you know, like when they're, when they're making this new Ghostbusters movie uh, or more or a new Ghostbusters franchise even, it's like – Okay, all of the fans of the old Ghostbusters are going to rush out to see this movie because they want more Ghostbusters, but they might be setting them up for it's disappointment because they're not the audience. Yeah, Hollywood is making this movie for for people who haven't seen Ghostbusters yeah, making yet. Making it on an old franchise, you are going to get a big draw of the original people that loved it, especially when it's something that people love, like Ghostbusters, Star Wars, RoboCop. You're going to get the people that love the original films. And yeah, they are going to be disappointed. Yeah. Like I said, I did see the remake of RoboCop. While I did not hate it, I was just talking to a buddy at work uh, Friday night about this after we got off. I, while I did not hate it, it wasn't RoboCop. 
and again, it may be because, as you yeah. said, you know, I'm a fan of the original RoboCop. I thought it was a great movie. This movie's geared more, probably more for people that aren't in love with those original movies. Right. And that's... So, and then we're going to have to pre- back to Star Wars uh, with the, the prequel. It takes the original series, which was Han Solo, or try that again. The original trilogy, which was Luke Skywalker's journey from a farm boy to a hero, and it turns it into an Anakin Skywalker story, which starts out with him, again, much like his son, starting on a nowhere planet. In fact, the same nowhere planet. And the last movie, Return of the Jedi, ends with his death, redeeming himself for all the bad he's done by destroying the Emperor. And that's another problem. That's another problem I have with the prequels is sort of the tone of the movies aren't always in sync. I think it has multiple tones because, as you said, I think I think Lucas was approaching the prequels in large part towards a younger audience, to a more kid-friendly audience. And at the same time, his protagonist, the main character, is going on a very dark journey. It's not the same journey that Luke Skywalker went on, which is the story of a rising hero who is going to redeem his father. This is the story of a hero who falls from grace and murders (laughs) a whole whole lot of people. (laughs) This is is really dark territory for... A, a, a set of movies and a franchises that is presented as a very kid-friendly environment. And I actually heard somebody else talking about when you look at how much material exists for Anakin as the hero right. between like the first couple movies and even the Clone Wars cartoon, if you've got a new audience who's watching him fall who's watching his story from the beginning chronologically, you get to that point in episode three where it's like, wait a minute. The hero that I've been following along has just <laughs> gone crazy and turned into an evil. It's like 90% of his story, if you if you look at the movies and the Clone Wars cartoon, 90% of his story right. is he's a good guy. And then for the last act, it's, oh, <laughs> he's a horrible monster. Like, Has there been any other character in film or literature where that has been the case? Like, no. Like, can sure. you think of like a story that where you had a a young hero who is like you know the hero right. of this army, and then in the last hour becomes Walter <laughs> White from Breaking Bad? It's... Uh, no, I can't think of any story that's gone that way. I mean, that's gone so, taken so, take such a drastic turn like that. And, but again, if you're watching the movies from in the order that they were originally right. released, that isn't a difficult jump because you understand who right, Darth Vader he, is first. Uh, the baddest mofo you, in the galaxy. So, right, so that's not jarring. But now, if you got a little kid today who wants to watch Star Wars for the first time, which movie is he going to start with? Episode 4 or Episode 1? Well, Episode 1, because that one comes first. Like, that's... That's right. how you teach kids numbers. And like I say, that, that's part of Lucas's problem, or people's problem with the original, or the uh, prequels, is that I don't think Lucas knew his target audience is. Again, yeah. making a prequel for a beloved franchise, you're going to get the fans of the original series in there. 
they're going to go watch it. But he, again, as we talked okay. about, he wrote, was writing it for the newer viewer, the, the kids. So he's got kind of two different demographics in there, and it's it's it can be done. And again, well, again, as you talked about earlier about you know Lucas taking all this stuff for Star Wars, making a fantastic movie. I don't know if he's the greatest writer out there. I don't care what he's done in Star Wars. You yeah, know, I don't think I he's the greatest he writer out there. And again, if you have a really great writer, yes, they could write something that appeals to both the brand new kid that's going to come into the series and the long-term fan, but Lucas couldn't do it. No, I think I think he had an amazing idea. I think his... The, the the idea, the vision of Star Wars that he came up with in the 70s was phenomenal. It was groundbreaking. It was it was unfathomable and how great and how epic it was in scope and how he presented it. Um, but I still think, I mean, when when you look at the people who think that Empire Strikes Back is better, a lot of that has to do with he didn't control the writing or the say, directing of that. Yeah. So you have to look at his what his limitations were. But I also think he took that really seriously because he has become a control freak. And I think that was, that was sort of what led to kind of his downfall amongst the fans who loved his work, his creation was they thought that he, he became too obsessive. He wanted too much control over the writing and the directing process when he should have farmed that out to people who were better in that field. Yes, you can take control and you can, you know, you do need one person with a single vision, a single mind leading it. But Lucas is a good idea, man, I think. But like we talked about earlier, Empire, as you said, was the better technical film. And why is that? Again, as you said, he had others do the directing, do the writing, do the, you know, the heavy lifting on it. So I think Lucas is a much better idea, man. He should give people ideas. And from what I hear, some of the stuff they're doing in 7, 8, and 9 is stuff that Lucas had envisioned. But they're actually going to get people that can actually mm-hmm. do it to, to produce, to actually create the film. So, And I was I was blown away. Like, my head almost popped when I heard that he actually did sell the rights. Yeah, I that, never that thought that would happen. Skywalker I, Ranch. I, I thought he... Yeah, yeah. I thought he was just too too tied to that and that he would just like he would never let go of that property. He would just continue to tweak and modify it and own it himself. And when he eventually just sold it and donated all of the the proceeds, like all the money that Disney gave, I heard, he I donated that, yes. that to charity. I was very impressed with that. I mean, again, after 30, 40 years of making money off of Star Wars plus Indiana Jones yeah. and all this other stuff he's created, the man's probably richer than God as it is, so he's not going to miss the four million dollars or whatever. But right. even I mean, a lot, even if you're not going to miss, a lot of people wouldn't go out and do that. They're, they're not going to donate all that money to charity. Right. So I, no matter what else I have to say about George Lucas, he is a good man. I mean, you know, he, he did give the charity a shit ton of money. I mean, so mm-hmm. no, I don't think and. For as much for as much complaint as I, I level at him and the the prequels and the uh, the special edition versions and the things that he has done to this franchise right. that I have disagreed with, I I like I'm not I don't think I don't think he ever had poor intentions. Oh, no, I mean, he has his intentions, intentions were pure. I I, I just think it, it was 
it was either too close, it was too personal to for him that it was a case of not being able to see the forest for the trees, or just, uh, I mean, it, it was his baby, and he was just too possessive of it, and just couldn't couldn't let go to the point where it, he wasn't doing himself right. or the property well, any good. Part of the but, problem is, when you think of Star Wars, you think of Empire Strikes Back, which is a Jedi, who's the first person you think of? George Lucas. Mm-hmm. You don't think of anyone else that did the writing, the directing, right. you think George Lucas did it all. And I think George, I think he started to believe his own press, his own hype. Everyone says how great Star Wars you're is, right. the great franchise, George Lucas did a fantastic job. George's like, you're right, I did. And so that's why he's taking more control of things. He, he did the special edition, which, while well, I liked some of what they did, uh, fuck him. Han Solo shot first. Right. I don't care. I don't care what Lucas yeah. says. <laughs> and, and at the same time, I mean that that still opens up so many other questions. I mean, it's was when you consider the cultural and emotional impact that Star Wars or any piece of art has on the audience, and that had a profound impact on a huge audience, an entire generation. That basically just that speaks the language of Star Wars that essentially you can take any line from those movies and a Star Wars fan will pick up on it if you just drop it in casual conversation. That's crazy to think that he created something that that well, to go was to that powerful. There, I mean, a lot of lines you can take and even non-Star Wars fan would recognize a lot of. Them. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. But so now you have to ask, OK, does. Is Lucas obligated to. To tr- is is he beholden to then try to make the movies to try and capture that same magic for those audiences? Does he have to always try to please those audiences? And what happens if he tries to change something? What happens if he says, "No, I'm a different man now, and now I think I don't want Han Solo to be the kind of person who would shoot Greedo w- first. Now I think." Han would probably he would wait and he would he would dodge a little bit and then he would fire second. Is that? I mean, if if it is it still his creation? Is he allowed to do that or is that offending the audience? And if like, is he responsible for the audience in that way? Can can he just say shut up if you want Han to shoot first? You make your own move. Yes, technically, yes, I, he can, can like, do that, but. I, the way I look at it, yes, he does own the characters. He, he created it all. But to me, if, you, if you're a writer, if you're presenting your work out there for the public and you want people to enjoy it, yes, you should have some obligation to maybe not do what they want, but at least keep their their uh, desires, if you want, in mind. Because, again, I mean – you can write all the stories you want for yourself and do what you want with them. But once you start, you know, you want people to read them, at least to me anyway, you, or you want people to watch it or read it or whatever, you, you want them to enjoy it, the way I look at it. Yeah, I just, I, 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 I haven't really liked any of the changes that have been made for special editions or things like that. So I, I want the, the original theatrical cuts. I'm even... The more I the more I think about it in retrospect, I I wish he had never changed Star Wars to Episode Four. I wish that had just never. I wish he had just left it being called Star Wars because I think that is the place to begin the story. 
Um, and I think setting that up with the assumption now that there were adventures before that that you had to make, yeah. I think that was a problem. Um, yeah. But but I also try to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't want him to be able to do whatever he wants with something that meant so much to me personally. But I also try to acknowledge that Maybe it is a me problem, not I don't a think him it's so much problem. A me problem because I, again, I have yes. the same issues you do. I mean, as I just talked about, I mean, yes, he does have the right to do it, but just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. No, I yeah, I agree. But and, and some of the cosmetic changes oh, well. they made to the, the original trilogy, I don't mind. I know Cloud said they opened up some window, uh, some doors, and made, or some hallways, and made actual windows so you could actually see a bigger world out there. Things like that, I didn't mind. Yeah. And again, yeah. the biggest issue I have is, again, as we just talked about the whole uh, who shot first. Part of my problem with that is, I mean, they're right. they're sitting, what, two feet away from each other at that? Not even that. Yes. It makes Greedo look stupid. It makes Han and Greedo both look stupid hunter. in that scene. You would think he's been on at least one mission, and he misses someone from like a foot yeah. or two away. And the way I, I know what I know what he was yeah. trying to do, he was trying to make Han a little more, less of a harsh person, if you will. But I mean, Han starting yeah. out was a smuggler. He's not a good guy to right. begin with. And again, it's right. But you know what the thing is? Even even as a kid, when I watched that movie, I never had any ambiguity about whether or not Han was right. a good guy or a bad guy. I understood that if somebody pulls a gun on you and says, I'm going to shoot you right now, shooting them first doesn't compromise exactly. you morally. Was... They have threatened you. And this, this, even if, if Han was a cop, that would yes. be a justifiable shooting. If somebody pulls a gun on you and you feel threatened, well, you can cop. shoot I back. Mean, you know, if someone pulls a gun on you as a civilian. And, but yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. I'm just I'm saying so. Like, like that, that never made me think, oh, gosh, this Han is kind of a uh, – kind of a devious character. I don't know if I should, you know, aspire to be something like that. It's like, no, yes. that, that had nothing to well, do with that. It. When he first came out, I was seven, eight years old when it first came out, and I am the same boat you are. I'm like, well, no, he was, it was him or the, you know, this bad guy. So yeah, Han's going to shoot first. That's, you know, logical. All it does, like now with that change, all it does is make me think, wow, Han let him shoot first. That's a, That yeah. was a pretty dumb thing to do. And also... Wow, Greedo missed. Greedo must not be a very dangerous bounty hunter. I guess Han. I guess Han was never really See, in my danger first at all. Is that while he missed from one foot away or two foot, whatever it was, wow, Greedo must. This must be his mm-hmm. first assignment or something. He really sucks as a bounty hunter because if he can't hit with someone that close, how the hell is he going to do it from further away? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see. I want to see like a parody of that where Greedo fires first and Han doesn't shoot, and they just have a long stare down at each other. Like Greedo's just embarrassed, and he kind of looks down at his gun. He's like, "This only fires one blast. I guess I'll go now." And he just kind of gets up and awkwardly walks away, and Han just watches him go, and that's oh, that'd it. That'd be hilarious. Oh, well, I, I want. I'm assuming uh, Greedo went to stormtrooper school. Is how you learn to shoot. That's the only thing I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. And that's another kind of again, again, fan wake it from things I've heard, but again, the uh, the rig- the prequels say that the stormtroopers were cloned from Jango Fett, who's supposed to be one of the baddest bounty hunters in the galaxy. 
to the stormtroopers we see in the original movies, which, again, they were taken out by Ewoks. Uh, they couldn't shoot to save their life, yeah. you know. But I, I believe, and again, from what I've read from the Expanded Universe stuff, the clone troopers started dying out, and they started replacing them with regular humans, and that's why you started getting all these stormtroopers that couldn't fire, you know, hit the side of a barn. <laughs> But talking about clone troopers, that's what brings us to episode two. A lot of people didn't like the love story in that. Did that love story bother you? Between, um, between of course, uh, Princess only, Amadela and uh, young Anakin. It bothered me only in that I thought the dialogue between them was pretty awful. And the chemistry between the actors was Yes, I wasn't sure was if it was the dialogue awful. or if a lot of it was just Hayden Christensen kitten act his way out of a paper bag. <laughs> The dialogue was really awful, and part of that, I think, is the direction, because Hayden Christensen gets a lot of crap, but I, I honestly think if he had been replaced by any other actor, they wouldn't have come off much better, because Natalie Portman is a great actress, and yes. Ewan McGregor is a great actor, and Jimmy Smits and Ian McDermott, these people are all really great actors, and most of them don't act very well in these movies, so... I, I'm not defending Hayden Christensen, but I also don't think a different actor in his position would have been that much better. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the problem with the love story was that the dialogue was bad and it was also just it was forced. They they had to be fall in love because we understood that they they right. must fall in love because they must have kids but they never saw each other. There was no sort of building up of their romance. Well, my problem um, with it, I mean, Padme, she's almost a pedophile, isn't she? I mean, because yeah, <laughs> was, what, 10 years old in the first movie? And Padme was, what, late teens? Yeah. I mean, Something I don't know, that, that's like that. borderline creepy, if you ask me, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah there is... Again, one of those gloss over it and pretend yeah. like it's not a thing, just like. But like I say, I didn't yeah. mind the love story because yeah, I knew it had to happen because again, well, Luke and Leia had to come from somewhere. Uh, <laughs> so, I, but yeah, right. I, I yeah. do agree with you that yeah, the writing wasn't as good as it could have been, and again, if Luke Lucas would have uh, had someone take another look at it, maybe, and then maybe have someone else direct it. Yeah, and he's a great idea, man. But, right. as we've said, he, he falls down in the execution of it. I will say Attack of the Clones does have one of my favorite scenes in all of the, in all of the Star Wars movies. It is the, the fight between Obi-Wan and oh. Jango Fett on the, on the landing pad on the, on the, uh, the ocean okay. world, whatever, Camino. And the reason I liked that fight so much is just because it was different than every other fight we ever got in a Star Wars movie. It was it was a fight between a Jedi and a non-Jedi that was actually competitive, that was pretty evenly matched. And we never got that in the movies. The Jedi just cut through armies and droids and Jabba skiff guards like they're nothing. We never really see somebody with a blaster hold their own against a Jedi except we do in that movie. They're pretty evenly matched, and it's great. And it was also just an environment that we hadn't seen. We hadn't seen a fight in the rain yes. or a fight over water. 
So just because that scene was so different than what we had had before, I really, I really like yes, that. I fight. agree. That was, that was a fantastic fight. Uh, and like I say, unlike a lot of people, I en- I enjoyed the trilogy, the uh, prequels, just not as good as the original. And again, I think a lot of it, part of it may be the nostalgic factor, as I said. But as we've talked about, I think a lot of it is the writing and directing. Lucas shouldn't have been such a control freak and loosened up a little bit and let someone else help him with, if you will. I think that would have made the, the, yeah. tr- the uh, prequels a whole lot better of a series of films. So anyways, uh, so we got those. And if you did you watch the Clone War cartoon, the Disney one? I've watched some of it. Um, I've watched – I've seen the first – two seasons or one of the se- the like one and a half okay. I started watching it on Netflix not at not when it was first released I started watching it just okay. like within the past year I I finally watched the animated movie and I started watching some of the episodes and it's I mean they're they're good for what they are my problem is I don't particularly like these characters because I didn't right. like them in the movies I don't like these Jedi, I don't like these clone troopers, and I don't like the battle droids. So going into the cartoon, it's it's got a lot of strikes against it, but they are telling yeah, some pretty fun stories. I liked it. There's a few things here. A few, middle of the series, you got kind of, I don't know, it wasn't as interested, but my problem with it is trying to fit it in between episodes two and three. I mean, in, in this uh, the cartoon, the Clone Wars cartoons... Uh, Anakin, you know, he's given a Padawan. He's not given a seat on the council or anything, but he has made a, I guess he is a master because yeah. he has a, pan, uh, a Padawan. He's training her. And then it's in the series she leaves. And then we, shortly thereafter, we end up in the movies. And there's never any mention of her. He's, right. he's bitching like a little schoolgirl right. that the council doesn't trust him. They don't give him any responsibility. It's kind of hard for me to to, to sync right. those two up because you know the, in the movie or the, uh, the right. Clone Wars cartoon, you know he does get yeah. all these responsibility. He is training somebody, and the next time we see him, he turns around. He's complaining how they don't trust him, how they won't give him any responsibility. Yeah, the 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 Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars cartoon yes. is smart, honorable, you know, a, a good leader. And a good friend and Jedi, all of the qualities that you would want yes. in your main character. <laughs> but the Anakin Skywalker in the movies, and again, part of it I think is that it is not so much acting. Part of it, as we as you've said, is the writing and directing. So yeah, it's kind of hard for me to sync those two up. Yeah. But I mean, if you take it on its own, the Clone Wars isn't a bad cartoon. It's just again, I, I as I've talked about previously, I am a fan of continuity. I like to sync things up if I can, and I'm having a problem syncing those two up. Yeah. Because <laughs> they've introduced all this other stuff in the cartoon that is nowhere yeah. to be seen in the third movie, so. It's also just, it, it makes it sort of crowded. There were five seasons of the cartoon plus, I think plus there was the animated movie. On Netflix, I'm not mistaken. And I think that, yeah, and then there was, I think it's just a two or three year gap yeah, between a, episodes yeah, two that, and episode that, three. Part. Yeah, there was, of a, the I think was three years, if I'm not mistaken, between. Two and three. So pretty much that cartoon <laughs> covers like every day in the life of the Clone Wars. It's like these guys apparently didn't yeah, get a chance yeah. to like, sleep. Yeah, everything had to happen because again, yeah, the the series went five years. Plus, I heard there was a series that was or a season that was just on Netflix. 
So there's at least Maybe, five yeah. or six years there that they had to squeeze into three years of Star Wars time. So that's another problem with it. Is yeah. It's kind of hard to squeeze all that in. So anyways, that, that's Star Wars from start to finish. Uh, oh, I say so. Episode three, real quick. That is where we find the uh, the crux of the Clone Wars. Uh, Anakin Skywalker is taken under Palpatine's wing. Uh, he believes that Palpatine's the only one that can save his love, Padme. And so he turns his back on the Jedi Order and sides with Palpatine when they come to arrest Palpatine for everything he's done, which causes Mace Windu, a.k.a. Samuel L. Jackson, to get killed. And he becomes Darth Sidious's apprentice, Darth Vader. He goes and kills all the younglings at the Jedi Academy, and then goes off to uh, Mustafar, where him and his old teacher, Obi-Wan, have their final showdown. He gets his arms and legs cut off, falls in the lava, has his hair burned off, and Obi-Wan leaves him there to die. At the end, Emperor Palpatine at this point comes along and rescues him and retrofits him into a armored uh, robotic body, if you will, with the respirator. And thus is born Darth Vader. Uh, we find out that Padme was secretly pregnant with his kids, we find out at the end that there was twins, Luke and Leia. And that's another thing that kind of bothers me about the whole thing as a whole, is that they want to hide the kids from Vader and Palpatine. So they take Luke Skywalker to Anakin's home planet and give, gives them to his stepbrother to raise. Yeah. Looking at that, I don't know if that was the smartest. I mean, apparently it worked. <laughs> they never found him. And I guess part of the reason that it did help, I guess, because uh, Vader thought the kids were dead, I guess. But. Right, right. He never. But, I mean, yeah, you have to assume he never thought to look for them. To give him to his brother, stepbrother on his home planets to hide him. I don't know. I just. And he's even got the same last name. Yeah, it would make sense if. Anakin had never been from Tatooine if he hadn't been there. Um, and they just, Basically, if he had a completely killer. different origin. From then that different <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, it doesn't. Uh... I actually, I had this before the prequels came out. I had this fan theory because people were, people were always wondering, um, like this was just back like in the early days of the expanded universe before the prequels. They're like, well, how come, how come if they wanted to hide Luke Skywalker, they didn't change his name? Cause right. wouldn't Darth Vader recognize that name if he ever heard him or saw him or something. And my response to that, my sort of no prize for that was if you go back to that original movie, star Wars, he doesn't say Luke Skywalker until he's on the Death Star, when he right. says, I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you, when he's in the detention center. That's the first time we hear the name Skywalker. So my theory was always, Luke did not know that that was his last name until after he met Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan told him that as part of his backstory. Like, Luke grew up thinking sure. that his last name was Lars or something, because yeah, that's what Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru's name was. In the original movie, how exactly Luke's father is related to Uncle Owen... 
and is he actually Uncle Owen or is he you know yeah, a good yeah. friend you know because like my my kids my kids call my my yeah, best exactly. friend Uncle Dean though he's not actually blood related yeah he's still Uncle Dean so it wasn't until the prequels that we actually find out that they are stepbrothers yeah their dad married her his mom so he had to be step so I get that straight in my head for a second right. But overall, I, I enjoy Star Wars. Uh, again, that's what's helped make me the geek I am today. And I know I've heard some people talking about there's always the great debate about which is better, Star Wars or Star Trek. Uh, I had one friend at work I, I, I was friends with that was saying how Star Trek's better. I'm like, well, I look at it this way. If you take both of the names, you know, both of them begin a star, which tells us something that takes place in space. What's a Trek? It's a long fucking walk. So Star Trek is a long fucking walk in space. <laughs> Meanwhile, Star Wars says it all. Wars, you know, there's battle, there's epic, you know. The names of them will self tells you that Star Wars is better, just because, you know, one's a long, a long voyage off into space, and the other one is wars. It's not just a war, it's multiple battles, it's just epicness. <laughs> so I don't mind Star Trek. Star Wars, in my opinion, is yeah, much better. Yeah, I never, I, I didn't get into Star Trek until actually relatively recently. Um, I, I'd seen some of the movies, I'd seen some of the TV shows, but it just, it never right. captured me the way that Star Wars did. So. Well, I think we, we've hit the Star Wars for the most part through this. Um, do you have anything else you want to add about Star Wars? Any other comments yeah. or anything else you want to put out there for the fans? Um, no, I mean, if you want to hear more of my thoughts about the saga, um, uh, if if your listeners want to hear more of my thoughts about Star Wars, they can check out the Dead Bath and Spies Star Wars podcast, which is available on iTunes, or you can go to deadbathandspies.blogspot.com, which is the blog host for the site. Yes, I just actually like I, like I said earlier, I just downloaded. What do you have? Eight nine episodes. Uh, something I've like that. Downloaded all of them. Thirteen. I just downloaded all 13 episodes last night to check out. I guess there's a promo in there, so there's 12 episodes. So I've checked. I've downloaded all 12 mm-hmm. episodes. I'm going to check them out here soon. I'm looking forward to it. And where else can they? So we got the Dead Bath and Spies. Where else can they find you on the internet? Um, I've got a blog devoted to the DC Comics character Black Canary, which is Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary blog. You can find that at blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. And there is a podcast, a sister podcast for that, which they can find on iTunes at Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. Um, you can find me on Twitter using the handle Count Druncula, either at RyanDaily01 or at Black Canary Fan. I'm pretty active on there, so you can always find me there. Okay, well, be sure to check them out, guys. Uh, well, thank you very much for uh, talking to me today, Ryan. I I love talking Star Wars. I love talking anything geeky. It's just hard to find people to talk with that actually enjoy it as much as I do. So it's always a plus to <laughs> find someone such as yourself. Oh, not a problem. I had a, I had a good time. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, anytime. All right, Ryan. Well, thank you again very much. And again, to my people out there listening, uh, if you want to hear more of Ryan talk about anything that we've talked about today, be sure to check out his Dead Bothian Spies podcast. I've listened to a couple episodes, and it's pretty good. I'm enjoying it. Um, 
some of the things that we've talked about here on several of his episodes. He's actually gone into more detail and gotten other opinions from other people on. So, again, if you especially enjoyed our conversation today, check out Dead Bothian Spies on a iTunes near you. And hear some more of Ryan's thoughts on it. Anyways, that's it for this episode of Geekin' of Head. Stay tuned during the commercial break, and we will be right back. Star Trek, comic books, mythology, video games, toys, Star Wars, just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the Hammer Podcast, presented by Two True Freaks. Come join me. Gene Hendricks for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with and be careful or you might just learn something before we're done the hammer podcast is available monthly both on its own iTunes feed and at twotruefreaks.com Get set. We're riding on the internet. The internet is really, really great. For porn. I got a fast connection so I don't have to wait. For porn. What? There's always some new site. For porn. I browse all day and night. For porn. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light. 
Poor, poor. Internet porn, Roman orgy scenes. Internet porn, dominatrix queens. Internet porn, girl on girl on girl on girl on girl on guy on sheep. But you're going surfing on the internet. Where is head going? And today on Where's Head Going, uh, in honor of our special guest Ryan Daly, head's going to go to http colon slash slash blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. That's B L A C K C A N. A R Y F A N dot blog spot dot com. This is the place where uh, Mr. Ryan Daly, our guest from the Star Wars portion, talks about Black Canary, who's a DC character. Uh, if you watch the CW Arrow, she shows up on there. He talks all about Black Canary and her various appearances in comics, TV, wherever she might appear. Uh, I've looked it over, it's a pretty good site. Uh, go check it out. Again, that's Ryan Daly's blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. Check it out. Meltdown. 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 Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. You've got mail. Now for today's Heads Mailbag. Um, from Facebook, I just want to mention that a buddy of mine, Ray Hatley, liked Head Speaks, which brings up to a total of 20 likes. And also he liked and posted, uh, reposted the entry from April the 8th when I was pimping my appearance on Gene's Legends of the Superheroes show. And once again, just to pimp that a little bit more, if you did miss it, I was on Gene Hendrix's Legends of the Superheroes talking about 1994's The Crow. And while I'm talking about Facebook, just for completion's sake, let's go ahead and run through everyone that's liked the Facebook page, which is uh, Head Speaks, which can be found again at H uh, HTTP www.facebook.com slash headspeaksheadcast. So again, that's facebook.com slash headspeaksheadcast. So to run through that list, we have... Ray Hatley, Shag Matthews from the Fire and Water podcast, Timothy Moss, Michelle Ma Moss, McMarrow Canna, Canna, Amanda Downing, AJ Flynn, Gene Hendricks from The Hammer Strikes, Bizarro Pete, William Passmore, Scott Kessler, my buddy over at Creative Threat Films, AJ Aries, Steve Peterson, Yolanda Lamas, Jason Catanello, and Jonathan Sturgeon. I want to thank all of them for liking our Facebook page. And that'll do it for Head's Mailbags this week, or this episode. Moving on to Head's Final Thoughts. Again, as always, if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at head at headspeaks.com. Remember to check out Gene Hendricks' Legends of the Superhero podcast, which is under his Hammer Strikes podcast, where the two of us talk about the 1994's The Crow, uh, be sure, again, as I've mentioned previously, to check out Ryan Daly's Dead Bothian Spies podcast for further information on things that we talked about today. 
Again, as I said, when I started the episode, I hadn't listened to it. I just located it, and I downloaded them. Uh, since that time, I have actually listened to a few of them. Because, again, as I said, I don't sit down and record everything in one sitting. I record bits and pieces here and there as I see fit and as I have time. Um, but I have listened to several of his podcasts. And they have went into more depth on some of the things that we spoke about. So definitely check out his podcast. Uh, again, as a final promo, I guess you can say, uh, I mentioned Shag Matthews during my Facebook shoutouts. Uh, again, check out his Fire and Water podcast. That's a great show. Uh, I'm not being paid to pimp that one or anything. I'm not being paid for anything, but I just really like his podcast. I like to spread the word. Uh, Firestorm's a great character, and Shag does a great job talking about him. But that's enough about him. Anyways, that'll do it for this episode of... Head Speaks. Pay attention after the credits here for our end song. Um, today, in honor of Ryan and my little talk today, I'm going to play a song called The Saga Begins by Weird Al. It's from his Running With Scissors album, June of 1999. It was a parody of 1971 single American Pie by Dog McLean, Don, Don, Don McLean, and it recounts the plot of the film Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Even though Gene's not a fan of those, or Gene, even though Ryan's not a fan of those. Uh, anyways, it's a great song though. So listen to the saga begins by Weird Al. Thanks and. We'll see you next time. What a blast, kid. We sure had good fun while it lasted. Hung out with friends and hit the skin. Next week we're gonna do it again. again. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Head Speaks. Be sure to look for me on the web. I can be found rambling on my Task Force X headcast, where I cover all the appearances of the Ostringer Suicide Squad and Kupperberg's Checkmate comic books from the late 80s, early 90s. Both Headspeaks and Task Force X can be found on iTunes and over there on Stitcher Radio. My home on the Intertubes is my official website, headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast can be found there. I'm also over on Facebook at Head Speaks, uh, the community, not the page. That's somebody else. On Google+, look for Head Speaks. Please feel free to email me your bitches, moans, and gripes to headspeaks at headspeaks.com. Also, feel free to email any compliments you have also. And if you want to be heard on Head Speaks, you can go ahead and record a message, and you can send it to me at head at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. Be sure to join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood brotherhead. And hey, be sure to tell a friend. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny pages. A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far away, Naboo was under an attack. And I thought me and Qui-Gon Jinn could talk the Federation into maybe cutting them a little slack. But their response, it didn't thrill us. 
They locked the doors and tried to kill us. We escaped from that gas. The Met Jar Jar and Boss Nass. We took a bongo from the scene and we went to feed to see the Queen. We all wound up on tattooing. That's where we found this boy. Oh my, my, this here Anakin guy. Maybe Vader someday later. Now he's just a small fry. He left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye, saying, "Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi. Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi." Did you know this junkyard slave isn't even old enough to shave, but he can use the Force, they say. Fourteen, yeah, he's probably gonna marry her someday. Well, I know he built C-3PO, and I've heard how fast his pod can go. And we were broke, it's true. So we made a wager or two. He was a prepubescent flying ace, and the minute Java started off that race. And some pilots fried. A lot of folks were croaking. The battle droids were broken. And the Jedi I admire most. 
Met up with Darth Maul and now he's toast. Well, I'm still here and he's a ghost. I guess I'll train this boy. And I was singing, my my, this here Anakin guy. Maybe Vader someday later. Now he's just a small fry. And he left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye. Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi. Soon I'm gonna be a Jedi. We were singing, my my, this here Anakin guy. Maybe Vader someday later. Now he's just a small fry. And he left his home and kissed his mommy goodbye. Saying soon I'm gonna be a Jedi.